You need a flushing sound. <laughs> I was rolling when you said that. Opinions expressed by this podcast are not representative of our workplaces, families, friends, enemies, pets, or other entities that may associate with us, despite our opinions. Get social with the Unelectables. You can find us on Twitter at Unelectables. And on Facebook at Unelectables Pod. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, mortals. This is the Unelectables. I am Joey Oberhoffner. And I'm Kirk Schmidt. And holy crap, we remembered how to do this. Did we? Well, I don't know. I hit record and the thing seems to be spinning. So, uh, yes? All right, well, let's uh, let's see if we remember how to, how to uh, talk. Okay, so, um, Kirk, uh, y- you like stuff? I like stuff. Cool. Yeah, it's been, uh, there's been a lot of things that have happened since we last broadcast. I mean, technically, we last broadcast on election night. Yes, that is true, although our subscribers just to the audio stream would not have gotten that. Because somebody didn't hit record that last time, and that somebody was me. Well, that's okay. Nobody's perfect, except for Maxime Bernier. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. What I want to talk about right now, in in all the things that have gone on in the hundred days since election night, it's been just over a hundred days as of the date of recording here. Of course, the big news, the the thing that I really need to talk to you about, and, and I need to check in with you, brother. Are you okay about the fact that they're not getting married? Look, I, I'll, I'll tell you the same thing that I told my wife. Tessa Virtue is now available. Okay, you heard it here first, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we missed out on a royal wedding, but all the, all the luck in the world to Scott and his beautiful bride, uh, they're, they're going to be, I'm sure, very happy together and... Um, yeah, we, the truth is we don't know if Tessa's available or not, but she was teasing on Instagram that she was looking for a plus one for the wedding. So um, my, uh, my postcard application is in the mail, Tessa. I know you're a listener. I, on the other hand, am married. So there's yes. no postcard for me. Uh, as, as far as anyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> Just under a pseudonym. There we go. There we go. Now, um, Kirk, we have a ton to talk about what we've done is we've tried to distill it down into sort of the core components uh so we can really talk about some of the elemental uh uh, uh, things that have gone on over the course of the last few months because of course it's summer right and we've talked about this before in summer not a lot of people pay attention to politics hell in summer we didn't really pay that much attention to politics i mean and it's crazy because politics impacts everything we do in our lives. You were just in Park City, Utah a little while ago. That was because of politics. Well, it was because of a private organization who decided not to help with any 
particular sport, but, you know, whatever. Whatever. And and not all politics is public. A lot of politics is private, as anybody who's worked in an office environment can tell you. Right? And, and I mean, we've had a lot going on in the city in terms of the arena deal just uh, was announced between the Flames and, uh, and the city and the Stampede as a trilateral agreement. Uh, still no field house, still no new stadium for the Stampeders. No, and uh, and really, it didn't seem like it was all that well supported, even by uh, by the electorate, or at least at least not at a level where uh, that that would give reason for only having debate for a week and then going through driving it through. Right, and we're going to talk more about municipal politics in a little bit, but I'm just trying to sort of. Hit on, hit on the quick things. Uh, we had a spring-slash-summer session of the Legislative Assembly in Alberta, and they, uh, they got a few bills passed, uh, did some marathon sittings that went into the wee hours of the morning. Um, uh, we've got the Education Act that was passed in 2012 is now in law. Um, there's been a lot of pushback from GSA groups about, um, uh, about that law. Uh, Bill 9 is, uh, is up for... Uh, argument and uh, has actually been uh, put on hold by a judge um, because the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees is uh, is pushing back on that. Uh, teachers and nurses and all kinds of, uh, of frontline uh, government staff. Um, there's been a lot going on provincially. Uh, has anything really uh, piqued your interest uh, over the summer months provincially? Provincially, not really. I mean, we had our election and... and you know, really, the first hundred days of government are are a lot of them taking time to figure out their portfolios and and uh, and really just trying to organize. So we weren't going to see a whole lot. I mean, you know, there there's a few people right now who are going, look, you promised all of these things that were going to happen right away, and they didn't. Well, it's still early. So you know, let's let's give the government time to to adjust adapt and uh, and kind of see what comes out of the fall session the big problem of course that that uh, might be worth discussion is the fact that there is no budget so any organization that relies on provincial budgets like i don't know universities and hospitals for example there's definitely some issue with with kind of working in a limbo environment until they, they go through budgetary processes in the fall. Right, and and school boards as well were making uh, some pretty significant noise about that a few weeks ago right? because they need to be able to plan. Uh, my understanding is that the provincial budget won't actually come out until late October, uh, which is going to be after the federal election, which we're going to spend a great deal of time talking about today. That's right. Now, one thing that might be worth, worth talking about that caused some chatter on t- interwebs was the Rutherford Scholarship. The Rutherford Scholarship. What has Dave Rutherford done now? <laughs> it's, it's named after Dave? <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Um, so what happened is effectively due to a, uh, a systems upgrade, applications for the scholarship were, uh, were delayed. Mm-hmm. So uh, this kind of... Well, part of, part of the issue is, of course, that that then students don't know whether they're going to get it until well into uh, after the the federal election, and s- students are scar- starting school in September, so that creates a bit of a, a problem. Now, I don't understand the problem because as a teenager in high school, I never knew if I was going to get it. 
Oh, wait, the scholarship. No, I knew if I was going to get that. Um, I got a Rutherford scholarship. How about you? Yes. Yes, there so, you go. Now, now, actually, I'm trying to think if I did because I can't remember if it applies for out-of-province out of schools. It's been too long, Joey. It's been too long. Um, it's been a long road. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> one, uh, one thing, uh, though, is when this uproar happened... It took two days for something that was supposed to take months in terms of an IT infrastructure uh, to be implemented. It took only two days at that point. So uh, somewhere there's a disconnect. Either uh, the upgrade was ready to go and they they were just saying it's going to take forever, which, which we'll call um, the Scotty method. <laughs> um, or... It wasn't ready to go, and somehow they pulled a Hail Mary with all of their IT folk and got it going, or, um, I don't know, are those the only two options? Probably. Ah, you didn't tell them how long it would really take. That's right. Well, uh, you know, there's an old uh, adage in politics that is, if you want a street to get fixed, you have to route the, uh, route the president's car along it. Uh, because if the president's going to be driving that street, if he's going to be paying attention to what's going on there, that road will get fixed, even right. if it's been waiting for 10 years. So squeaky wheel gets the grease is the short way of putting that. That might just be the case of what it was. It's amazing what you can get done quickly if you get some political will behind it. So, anyways, it seems to have been resolved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously there's going to always be a little bit of, you know, well, what were the conservatives really doing with this and... You know, maybe there's truth to that, maybe there isn't, but uh, either way, it seems like it has been generally resolved. There you go. Well, we'll take generally resolved on behalf of the uh, thousands and thousands of young Albertans who are counting on their Rutherford scholarships to go to school. Although if they're leaving the province to go to school, they're just bad eggs, I guess. <laughs> Where did you go to school? Waterloo. Waterloo. I was defeated, you won the war. That's it, I'm out of here. <laughs> All right, sound effects brought to you by Kirk Schmidt. Okay, so Kirk, let's start at the level of government that is closest to us and do uh, just a quick overview. School boards? <laughs> I don't have a student in school. What do I care about school boards? He said facetiously, I know my doctor and my plumber went to Calgary schools. I know, save the hate mail. Um, but ThinkHQ released a poll, a public opinion poll, uh, just a few weeks ago in June, um, talking about city council approval numbers, and they are not good. <laughs> now, this was before the arena deal was announced and before the municipal service cuts uh, were announced, which was done just recently. However, um, the, the issue with the uh, property tax burden and the business tax burden and the pushback on those has taken quite the toll on the approval numbers. Uh, council as a whole, now this is, as we're recording this, we are exactly 800 days from the Calgary Civic Election of 2021. Um, so you do the math. Today is August the 10th. When is the 2021 election? Hit pause and do the, no, no, don't really hit pause. But the council as a whole, there are, Approval rating is 32%. A full 60% of Calgarians somewhat disapprove or strongly disapprove of the work that city council as a whole is doing. Mayor Nenshi is slightly more popular than council as a whole, but still not good. 
39% approve, 55% disapprove. Now, these are not good numbers, Kirk. Well, let's, let's go back to the old adage. It's the economy, stupid. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, not only are we talking about uh, an economy where oil has uh, not gone back to the numbers that have been promised... Um, but we also have this case where taxes have gone up over the last few years, and and all you need to do is really log into you know your your local Facebook and see images of these uh, companies in Calgary uh, that have posted their property tax changes over the last five years mm-hmm. to see why there would be so much disapproval for city council. Like, because let's face it, even though city council is really the closest government to us. Most people don't tend to pay attention unless there's something that really does affect them, like their street, like the local park, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are paying attention and people are, are disapproving to a large level. And I think a lot of that does have to do with financial matters, right? Mm-hmm. Have to do with taxes, has to do with the economy. Absolutely. And it's worth noting, too, that municipal government is the most impactful to your day-to-day life, but it is also the least powerful Uh, level of government, particularly in Alberta. They do not have the power to levy taxes. They do not have the power to raise funds in any way other than property and business tax in Alberta. So if the government of Calgary, for whatever reason, needs more money, and I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions about how they're spending money and what they're spending it on, whether it be art, whether it be an arena, whether it be anything else, urban sprawl comes to mind. Um, the, The long and short of it is, if they need more money, since they're not legally allowed to borrow it, the only thing they can do is take it from the businesses and, and ratepayers of Calgary. That's right. And so so that's going to be where a lot of this plays into. But, but I think also things like the arena deal um, and the history of the arena deal has not helped anything whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the Olympics, the failed Olympic bid, whatever side you were on, obviously I was for uh, but the failed Olympic bid, uh, you know, it doesn't look good on this council, right? To, to have spent all of this money, theoretically, on, on you know, the, all this bid operations and, and really, really bolstering this and then to have it fail. So, and this is, of course, part of the problem with having a referendum, right? I mean, I mean basically, the, the city can go forward and do a number of things, but then when the people say, no, we don't want that... Uh, that's not going to look good on your on your municipality. So it's the type of thing where it's compounded over time, right? The, there's been the arena deal and it's been been there. There's been the Olympic bid and mm-hmm. and that's been an issue. There's the taxes that are an issue, and then there's the normal everyday things that kind of uh, are divisive on the civic side, anyways. Mm-hmm. Like you know, bike lanes and and. Yeah, public art, things like that. Electric scooters. Yeah. So and there's there's always gonna be those things where where there's gonna be some divisiveness in in it already. So if, if you are more conservative minded, uh, you might already be against some of the, the more liberal minded um, politicians on city council or vice versa. And then, you know, to have all of these other issues compound, especially when they seem to be council as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, when when you hit a point where um, I'm agreeing with politicians on city council that I've never agreed with um, on things like the arena deal. Uh, p- 
people kind of take notice and go, you know, what what is happening with our council? Mm-hmm. So well, and the other part of this too is that dissatisfaction with city council is almost proof of Calgarian citizenship to a degree. I mean, uh, whether or not we we agree with our mayor at any given point in time can vary from time to time. But uh, council, I mean, almost overwhelmingly, whenever you talk to anybody who pays attention to municipal politics and you say, how's city council doing? They will almost always say the same thing, which is city council sucks. They can't get anything done. They're full of people I don't agree with. They all need to go. And then you say, well, what about your counselor? Oh, my guy's great. And so everybody re-elects their own counselor, and then they can't understand why there isn't large-scale change on city council. It's because everybody re-elected their counselor. And it begs the question whether our counselors are operating as um, just representatives for their local community associations and, by extension, their local residents, Uh, on city council, or whether they're working to build the city as a whole. Because you'll see instances where you have city councilors who say, this is the right thing for the city, but it's the wrong thing for my constituents, so I'm voting no. And at that point, you ask yourself, is that exactly what a councilor ought to be doing, which is representing their constituents against the rest of the wishes of the city, or is that the opposite of what a councillor should be doing, which is working for the city as a whole, but also representing the views of their constituents at the same time? Um, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough road to navigate, and it's made all the tougher by the fact that there are no political parties, at least no overt political parties, in, in Alberta municipal politics. So you pretty much have to navigate that yourself and with the help of a few, uh, a few courtiers, as it were. Well, and, you know, I, I don't remember if this is correct or not, um, but I thought DJ Kelly had uh, researched the ward system at one point, and I'm sorry, DJ, if I got this wrong, but, but I thought when he looked into it, uh, the original structure of the ward system were supposed to be wedges, uh, effectively, in terms of, of the city, so that every councillor, uh, or at the time every alderman, had uh, part of inner city in their riding, had part of uh, kind of that, that area right outside of the city and part all the way to the suburbs so that they would represent kind of, you know, all Calgarians at once. Yeah, I remember that on his blog. I believe that's absolutely true. If you picture the city of Calgary as a pizza with, say, oh, the, say, yes. the, say the Calgary Tower being the, the little plastic table that holds the top of the box... Um, and then you cut that pizza into 14 slices, that is what our wards are supposed to look like. So shout out to DJ Kelly. DJ, you were right about the ward system, but the Blue Jays are still terrible. Sorry about that, buddy. I don't know. A proof is a proof. What kind of a proof? It's a proof. A proof is a proof. And when you have a good proof, it's because it's proof. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have fixed my audio. So now I should sound less uh, less like I'm in a, a long hallway 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 like the hallway at the university of lethbridge longest hallway in the world what yes university hall in lethbridge has the longest hall in the world like in the bunker yeah huh they call it the box that the bridge came in sure (laughs) all right so kirk we are 72 days 
from the Canadian federal election. It's like Christmas for you. You're you're the federal politics guy. How you feeling? We're going into an election again? Yeah, but this one's federal. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> we only have, you know, a party with a leader that nobody likes and a party with a leader that nobody likes and a party with a leader that's been there forever and a party with a leader that nobody likes and a party with a leader that... Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But over the next 72 days, if you're good and you eat all your peas and carrots, then on election eve, the ghost of Furry Flanagan is going to come to your house and he's going to leave tax cuts in your stocking. Oh God, I haven't heard about Furry Flanagan in years now. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up again. Ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry, it's not dirty. If, if you are not familiar with Furry Flanagan, you can Google it. It is safe for work. You can Google that on a work computer. You'll be okay. Just do not click image. Do not <laughs> click image search. Okay, so we're going to talk about the federal election because it is a mere 72 days away. Now, we've got the major party, major party strategies in, in full effect right now. Um, uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to them necessarily, dear listener. I know Kirk and I have. Uh, the major party strategies at this point in time, the Conservative Party of Canada, are running their 100 days of Trudeau fails. And, of course, the 100th is going to be on Election Day. Um, this is gaining some traction on social media because, of course, every single day is creating a new meme for them to tweet and retweet and to have followers post on their Facebook. Kirk... Is social media real life? No. Okay. No, it is not. Thank you, Kirk. <laughs> so the conservatives are going to come out with the heavy guns blazing here once the kids are back in school and sure. people start paying attention, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll start to, I mean, especially once the writ drops, we'll actually see TV ads, radio ads. They will likely, they're likely using uh, social media as the first channel, right? And, and we know, we know from, from the marketing world, uh, that multi-channel works, right? So mm -hmm. I suspect what they're doing with this 100, 100 days of Trudeau fails is is priming it, figuring out what ones are sticking, what ones aren't. And we're, what we're probably going to see is that being bolstered through other media as, as the writ drops and it becomes, um, well, when they can legally spend money on an election campaign mm -hmm. as opposed to spending money on just general party operations. Okay, so... Is this a uh, is this them sort of tipping their hand and showing us what their election campaign is going to be about? Are we going to hear more about Justin Trudeau from conservatives than we hear about their own plans over the course of that campaign? Absolutely. Well, and, and and I don't think I don't think this was a secret to anybody that the way that you want to win this election is you want to focus on how much the prime minister has failed because there's already been that sense and and even. You know, as much as people are, are starting to not think about SNC-Lavalin anymore, uh, bringing it back into the conversation is how you do this, right? So even people who were liberal supporters were kind of like, what is what is this thing that's happening in, in Quebec? Uh, so anytime you can you can create that um, that leadership you know, the, the show the failure of the leadership, that's that's going to be the way to do it. The other thing is Sheer is not, you know, your 
your charismatic superstar uh, leader. Like Stephen Harper was. Andrew Shear is not your charismatic style leader. So, so focusing on him, I don't know it, that it does a lot of good outside of uh, conservative circles already. I mean, I mean, conservative circles, you're, they can focus on you know him and his family and and all of those you know conservative values. Awkward handshakes over hedges. Right, but but in terms of how you get the people who voted liberal last time to get rid of the, the former conservative regime, uh, that's who you're targeting right now. And you're basically going like, look, this was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And, and not blaming the voters. There can be a thin, thin line there, right? Like, you don't want to basically say, look what you did. Uh, but you want to be able to present that, you know, look, th- this didn't turn out the way that Canadians thought it was going to turn to us and you know go with something that you know and, and something that you that you know that that ran the country well mm-hmm. at least from you know from their perspective right now the liberals for their part are doing the exact other side of that same coin they seem to be going all in at least to this point on contrasting Justin Trudeau with Andrew Scheer any chance Justin Trudeau gets to stop by and have coffee at a gay bar, to choose a beverage other than milk. I mean, Justin Trudeau like boxed is... boxed water? Like boxed water. He's going out of his way to prove himself to be the anti-sheer. I guess they're banking on the fact that whether or not you feel he's necessarily done an excellent job as prime minister, Justin Trudeau seems like a more charismatic and likable person than Andrew Sheer. Is that their strategy? I guess. I mean... It's at least what they're going with right now. They might change strategies once the writ drops, though. Mm-hmm. Because that, that might not be a strategy that plays well for them. They'll, they'll start to look at what's happening with the polls and, and start to figure out whether or not they need to pivot on that. I don't think the conservatives need to pivot at all. I think, I think they've got the right strategy and they know they've got the right strategy. And everybody would say, this is the strategy that you take. Mm-hmm. The liberals, it's a little bit more... In the weeds. Well, and the liberals had gotten themselves into a little bit of trouble by doing something that liberal governments are not known for, which is actually paying attention to something that Alberta wanted. Um, Because there are only so many seats that will ever be in play for liberals in Alberta. But if by appealing to Albertans, or at least doing something right by Alberta, you are in effect potentially alienating voters in Atlantic Canada, alienating voters in Quebec, alienating lots of voters in BC. And of course, we're talking about the fact that Justin Trudeau essentially bought us a pipeline. <laughs> and and, there, and it, it's not going to win him votes in Alberta. Like, that's, that's yeah. the craziest well, it, part of it. It may win him 50 votes, but it's not going to win him any seats. Right. Yeah, I guess but it could I mean. cost him 50 seats elsewhere if he's not careful about how it's packaged. Now, what's, what's interesting, I mean, not, not that I want to spend a lot of time on the PBC... Uh, the People's Party of Canada, because I don't think they have much of a chance of winning a lot of seats if, if you know, outside of Maxime Bernier's seat. Um, but, you know, their strategy right now uh, kind of ties into what we're talking about, because their strategy is to paint Trudeau and Scheer as kind of the same person. Mm-hmm. Liberal Tory, same old story. Yeah. So, 
So, you know, you've got the liberals promoting Justin. You've got the conservatives denouncing Justin. And the PPC is there going, yeah, but Sheer and Justin are the same. And, and it's an interesting way to approach it. I don't know how many, how many ears are, are going to, to hear that message or even think about it. Um, obviously, the PPC is, is going to kind of, kind of go a little bit more out on a limb to try to pick up a few seats. But, um, but it kind of plays into this whole you know, leader as the party uh, type strategy that we've actually seen in more recent years of politics. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I mean, the the Greens, for their part, seem to be trying to reach out a little bit to traditionally conservative-minded voters in that they're releasing some really interesting policies and some really interesting thought pieces on, for example, and we talked about this a little bit before we recorded, how to transition Canada's economy. Instead of going full leap manifesto and saying, nope, Turn off the taps. We are done with fossil fuels forever. Uh, everybody now needs to read the newspaper by candlelight. The Greens actually released a really thoughtful piece. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, you can't deny that there's a lot to dig into there about how to make that transition. Kirk, what do you think about the Greens' strategy here? Well, it, it reminds me more of the Greens during Jim Harris's time. Back in the uh, so mid two thousand, mid two thousand. Okay. So, so this is before Elizabeth May became leader of the Greens, right? Because when Elizabeth May became leader of the Greens, you know, as you and I were talking, it really became about Elizabeth May and her party, as opposed to you know really policy wonkish Greens. But the Greens before Elizabeth May were policy wonkish. I mean, they even you know you have to remember this was early two thousands. This is pre Facebook. Mm-hmm. This is. This is, you know, pre-Twitter, pre-social media, effectively. They had an active policy wiki that Mm -hmm. they were using with members and non-members alike to come up with policy. And it feels like the Greens have shifted back to, or or shifting more in that direction of, let's talk about green policy. The, The thing is, green parties aren't necessarily liberal or left leaning um, around the world, right? Mm -hmm. They, in, in a lot of cases, there are Green Party, maybe not necessarily Green Party as, as a name, but, but parties that are focusing on environmental policy, uh, there are quite a few that are actually conservative in mind, right? The, and, and even the term Green Tory has been thrown around in mm-hmm. Canada for the last decade. So, so there, there are conservative-minded individuals who, who still believe that we need to do some things with the environment, and I feel like that's the direction that they're they're going into, um, and I think part of that is to try to pick up seats from the NDP, mm-hmm. right? So so try to uh, appeal to the green, the environmental side, uh, but also kind of the common sense policy uh, that conservatives uh, tend to tend to try to put forward, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think I think to some degree it's a strategy that way. The other thing is. It also means focusing less on Elizabeth May, which is an interesting approach. Well, focusing on Elizabeth May certainly didn't do them any favors outside of Elizabeth May's riding. Right. Right? It wasn't until they started focusing outward and started focusing on other things that they started to make a breakthrough and they got that second seat and now all of a sudden they're a thing. And now you're looking at some of their provincial parties in in some of these places and going, well, they have a shot at doing something really special. And so 
And it's worth noting as well that the Green Party, you touched on it, it's not a Canadian invention. I mean, there are Green Parties in countries all over the world at, at all different levels of government. Yes. And, and some of them have been very successful at getting people elected. Now, the Greens did something that was unexpected for the Greens uh, a, few, a few months ago. Uh, uh, wholly unexpected, they made a good political decision, or at least they made a decision that was focused on politics as opposed to being focused on the larger cause. And that was they hired former liberal strategist Warren Kinsella to come in and, and work with them on some stuff, to do some project work, to, to help get them ready for the election. Now, when word got out that Kinsella had been working with them, Warren Kinsella, one of the most uh, outspoken let's say, critics of Justin Trudeau online, um, very quickly the Greens said, well, his work with us is done now and, and he's gone because they were starting to get pushback from members. Why is this guy involved with us? We don't want to be liberals. We want to be Greens. But do you think that that is a harbinger of things to come? Are the Greens starting to finally think like a political party? Well, it certainly indicates that there's there's thought there that, that they need to do more. And, and it, you know, there was probably discussion internally in terms of look, this strategy has not worked for us for the last n elections. Let's you know, let's try something different. Um, it's it was interesting that they brought on Kinsella. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you know, one thing we should talk about Kinsella's resume is that he was involved with the Liberal Party back in the Chrétien era, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about st strategically intelligent Liberal Party. I mean, whether or not you agree with Chrétien or not. Um, the fact is that party ran very well strategically, and Kinsella was part of that. Won numerous elections very handily, very easily. Was effectively responsible for the eventual withering and death of the uh, Progressive Conservative Party of Canada after so many years. Right. So, so I mean, in terms of people who are large in this country in terms of strategy, they went to one of the biggest ones. Whether you like him or not, right? And that obviously has probably just as many detractors as he has as people for him. But effectively, it, it does mean that, yes, they, they did think about strategy. Now, whether he approached them, whether they approached him, I don't know. And we may never know. That's the thing with strategists. They're usually pretty good at keeping their mouth shut about people who are actually paying their bills at any given time. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we've talked about strategy and, and parties lacking some of that strategic focus on a provincial level, too, right? I mean, we've talked about the Alberta Party before, about, you know, not really thinking about themselves from the perspective of, you know, day after election, we need to start raising money type strategic focus right mm -hmm. so it does happen at all levels and and it's it's when they start to get some of those strategists you know and things aren't always going to work but it's when they start thinking strategically and grab those strategists and, and start thinking like a political party that you tend to see more of a shift if you just heard something in the background listeners that was apparently a deuce and a half from 1941 rumbling along outside uh, uh outside unelectables world headquarters here um, now, the last major political party we need to talk about in the country in terms of their, their, um, their strategy going into the federal election are the NDP. Kirk, what are the NDP doing? No clue. Yeah, and I don't think they have any clue either. The reality is, um, at this point in time, Jagmeet Singh and, and the federal NDP are just 
holding on for dear life. There doesn't seem to be any any obvious strategy. They don't seem to be making any waves. It doesn't sound like they're trying all that hard to hold their seat in Alberta. But that's not to say that's not their strategy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I mean, it's one thing to say we haven't heard a thing from them, mm-hmm. but they might be letting the liberals and conservatives fight it out a bit and try to kind of pull off the... Well, you know, we're the third party, and we're not either of those. Um, so and, they're the riders of Rohan. They're going to wait until everybody's exhausted, and then they're going to ride in and wipe everyone out. You know, it's it's not. Uh, we've seen it before, right? We've we've seen cases uh, where, and and we've probably seen it more internal to parties where two juggernauts fight it out and. A third kind of slips in. I mean, it even happened in Calgary, right? Like you, you, you think in terms of Rick McIver versus Barb Higgins, mm-hmm. and who becomes mayor, but not had Nenchi, right. and he, he, rather than focusing on those two, letting them focus on each other and just creating his own story, mm-hmm. right? Until the point where they started fighting with him. Well, it's how Ed Stelmack became premier of Alberta, right? Right. He let Jim Dinning and Ted Morton destroy each other, and. Then he walked right in and picked up the pieces and actually won one of the largest majority governments in Alberta history. So it's it's certainly a political strategy that works, uh, whether whether or not, you know, when, when these are done, whether they were strategy or not. Uh, but it's certainly something that the NDP might be looking at is let them destroy each other. And as long as the NDP don't come off as uh, completely unreasonable... Uh, then people might might look at that and go, oh, I don't want to vote for Justin Trudeau, but I don't really want to vote for Andrew Scheer. Maybe I'll vote NDP. But probably not. But, you know, and, and that's the thing, is maybe maybe that's what the Greens are trying to do too. Mm-hmm. Right? And so so it it might be the fight for third place between between NDP and Greens and and, you know, there might be two battles going on. Well, and the reality is, too, that the fight for third place isn't a fight for nothing. It's no. not a fight just to be on the podium. When the polls are as close as they've been lately, we the could fight be for third place. Government. Yeah, the fight for third place could be the difference maker in who gets to be the prime minister and cabinet positions and stuff like that. You only have to look as far as British Columbia to see the Greens were the caucus of what? Two? are holding the entire government of British Columbia hostage on every policy issue because if they decided to join the Liberals in a vote of non-confidence, the premiership and the government of British Columbia would fall. So the NDP that's in government right now literally has to give the Greens anything they ask for. Right, and so so it's the type of thing where, where with polls being as close as they are, knowing kind of where where votes are generally going to go the the odds of a trudeau minority or the odds of a sheer minority um, are quite high mm-hmm. and so the question becomes who becomes the third party and do, will they have enough seats to hold some level of power and interestingly just a few weeks ago elizabeth may was asked the question and she said she would in a minority situation work with any party right and of course she would yeah and i mean that comes down to policy as well well right like 
the Greens can focus on certain levels of policy because the Greens know they're not going to be the government of Canada. Right. But contrast that with if she was asked that question four years ago oh, about sure. would you work with Stephen Harper's party in a minority situation? She would have rather set her hair on fire. Fair enough. All right. So we've talked about the major parties. Now let's talk about the party list. Kirk, I know this is an issue near and dear to your heart. You were the best organized, and I believe, were you the best funded, or you had the best outcome for dollars per vote when you ran as an independent candidate? By best outcome, you mean worst? <laughs> I think I think when I ran as an independent, so, so I, I mean, it's been a few years. Um, if I remember correctly, um, I got 1,789 votes, uh, and I spent... Uh, just over $17,000. So I spent like $10 per vote. I think my, my dollar per vote was probably like the worst out of the entire country. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's an impressive credential. Now, uh, we have two very high-profile independent candidates in this next right, that, so, so this is a different style of independent, though. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, an independent is an independent. I mean, the, the way the, the federal rules are really does work against independent campaigns mm -hmm. uh, for a number of reasons, part of which that the, there's no constituency association for an independent. Right. So they can't fundraise outside of an electoral period. Um, anything they fundraise, they, sh they have to spend. Otherwise, they have to give it back to the receiver general. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, it's a really hard campaign to run in general. So, so independents are still under the same rules, but there really are different classes of independents. Right, there's the independents like me who are kind of like no-name people who come in um, and they, they might be organized, they might not be organized, they might think, you know, nationally, they might think one policy. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are those who were members of parliament and became independents right. who have traditionally had a better chance of getting in mm -hmm. versus people who have never held a seat running as an independent who have effectively no chance of getting it. So, you know, we have, um, we have famous examples going from, say, Chuck Cadman of, you know, who was of the Conservatives, and um, names escaping me out, uh, but uh, liberal in, in Ontario. Back Garth in, Turner? Uh, Garth Turner. Um, so... There are there are definitely cases where where people who held seats became independents and were reelected to those seats, mm -hmm. and so we have the two two women who who uh, were involved with the SNC Levin affair. Mm -hmm. We've got Wilson Raybould and and Philpot, um, who are both running as independent candidates in their ridings. Right. So these are these are two former federal cabinet ministers. They are incumbent members of parliament. They have local and, to a degree, national name recognition uh, because they were so heavily involved. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, of course, directly involved with SNC-Lavinland and Jane Philpott uh, stepping aside as a result of, of the That's issues right. with Jody Wilson-Raybould and the prime minister. Um, now... How do you like their chances? I mean, I know that there's been local polling that suggests that Jody Wilson-Raybould is a serious contender in Vancouver Granville and that Jane Philpott is, is not that close to the front of the pack in Markham Stouffville. But, I mean, we're still 72 days away and anything can happen. But 
those those difficulties that you described with with being an independent candidate and the fact that the conservatives and the liberals are throwing all kinds of money at these races right now through through various back doors whereas uh, Wilson Raybould and Philpot can't spend a dime until the rent drops does that put them seriously behind the eight ball? Do you think they have any chance of retaining their seats? Well, they're relying on their names, right? And and just just as a as an aside, they can spend money prior to the election, but it has to come in the form of a loan, effectively, and they would have to know that they're going to get that money back when they when they fundraise. Mm-hmm. So, um, but but yeah, they're going to rely on names, and so from that perspective, I mean, if 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 I didn't know the numbers to begin with, and, and you said, you know, how are these two going to fare? My inclination would be that Wilson Raybould would would hold serious contention, and Phil Pop would would be less so. And and the reason is name recognition, and it's for the same reason that uh, as a political candidate, um, if you are trained, um, you would know don't ever invoke the name of your opponent, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want to create name recognition. Because there, there are voters out there who they they know either the party or or the person, right? So so they're going to vote for what names they see. And so Wilson Raybould is a household name in Canada. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you cared about politics, the fact is the SNC Lavalin thing became so big that Wilson Raybould was a household name. Phil Pot, on the other hand, was kind of it was an aftershock, right? The the earthquake happened. There was the aftershock. Yeah it's enough to rumble your house, is it enough for you to remember versus the earthquake, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where Philpot has 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 contention issues because not as many people know that name. Now, people in the riding, they should, mm-hmm. right? Was the member of parliament. The question is whether or not the money that are spent by the parties because they can will be enough to uh, to dislodge. Right, and of course, uh, Jane Philpot and Markham Stouffville—that's a—that's uh, in the GTA. So there is a lot of focus by both the Conservatives and the Liberals because those are swing seats; they could go either way. Absolutely. Um, whereas in Vancouver, Granville, uh, Conservatives are, are less um, uh, less likely to win there. It's more a fight between the Liberals and the New Democrats. And Jody Wilson-Raybould has all the name recognition in the world. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, going from people who are independents to maybe people who ought to be independents or might be considering being independents based on how the polling looks for Justin Trudeau's Liberals in Alberta. There are currently three Liberal um, uh, members of Parliament in Alberta. Uh, Four were elected uh, in the last election. One now sits as an independent, Darshan Kang, uh, and he will not be running. Um, but of the three uh, liberal uh, members of parliament who are incumbents, all three have indicated they're going to run again. That's Randy Bosano in Edmonton Centre, Amarjeet Sohi, a uh, uh, cabinet minister uh, from Edmonton Mill Woods, and Kent Hare in Calgary Centre. So these three are running really hard on their records of standing up for Alberta. And just as predictably, the people who are trying to get them out are running on the idea that Trudeau has done nothing for Alberta. And so we have these clashes of competing facts. They're not being presented as opinions. They're not being presented as 
as, as ideas or, or perceptions, they're being presented as facts. So simultaneously, Justin Trudeau has done nothing for Alberta, and Justin Trudeau has done way more for Alberta than Stephen Harper's government ever did. They can't both be true, but this is politics, so truth doesn't so much matter. Kirk, how do you like their chances of holding their seats? I think their chances are horrible. Yeah. I think despite the things that Justin Trudeau has done for the province, and, and frankly, he has done things for the province, I don't think it's enough to combat, one, the general feel that Alberta feels on the outside anytime there's a liberal government, mm-hmm. and two, fights the cynicism, right? How, you know, anytime Justin Trudeau would do anything for Alberta, how many Albertans go, well, he's just doing that to buy votes? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, he's, you know, being a good leader of the country, right? Whereas if a conservative prime minister does the same things, uh, the viewpoint is different. And and it will be. And it's, it's going to be, you know, he's doing it because he's a good prime minister as opposed to he's trying to buy votes in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think I think there's there's they're combating that and and once again it's about the economy, right? Like, it's it's funny how many elections it still comes down to that and, and I think I think there'd be reasonable um, view of that's what happened in the provincial election too. We are in a drastically different situation than we were four years ago when Justin Trudeau was elected, mm-hmm. right? So first of all, there was kind of this this backlash. Uh, culture, and we saw it in in every election. We saw it with the NDP. We saw it with uh, the Liberals being elected. Backlash against Stephen Harper. Uh, it was happening. One could one could argue in the United States, right? Like there was this backlash culture that came about, um, and the economy was far better than it is now. In at least in terms of Alberta. Well, times are tough. I know. I'm my my home has shrunk by half. So. I, I know, listeners, you can't see the the random facial expressions I make at Joey, um, but they're but I'm my eyes hurt from rolling them constantly at this man. Um, <laughs> but but the, you know the fact of the matter is the economy is from an Albertan's perspective down, and going into an election as the incumbent government when when the when the economy is down is bad for any member of that government, regardless of what type of what party you are in. Mm-hmm. Add to that the very obvious issues that Justin Trudeau has had. Add to that kind of a feel of, you know, Calgary's very much as you know, Calgary Center's going to question what has Ken Hare done for us. Mm-hmm. Right? Especially considering um, was cabinet minister. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's and there might still be some lingering questions about the circumstances under which he stopped being a cabinet. That's minister. right. So, so it's the type of thing where I, I think I think Kent Hare's chances are probably the lowest he's had in a long time mm-hmm. in any riding he's been in. Um, I can't speak to the Edmonton ridings as well because I don't know them. Mm-hmm. But I think just being a liberal in Alberta right now is is tougher than it was four years ago by far. Now, I mean, I think it's made infinitely more difficult by the fact that his name is Justin Trudeau. Absolutely. If his name was Justin Boulanger, 
the issue would not be as significant. But because he's Pierre Trudeau's son, and this is Alberta, and the train and the middle finger, I mean, we grew up hearing these stories like uh, like they were Paul Bunyan and his and his ox blue, you know. Um, uh, Edmonton Center is an area of Edmonton that overwhelmingly votes NDP and overwhelmingly voted NDP in the most recent provincial election. So there's reason to believe that they would favor a progressive candidate. Sure. But they're going to have two to choose from. Yep. <laughs> they're going to have a new Democrat and they're going to have a liberal. So a conservative could win that riding. It's not as though conservatives don't live in Edmonton. Um, Amarjeet Sohi, Edmonton Mill Woods. Edmonton Mill Woods is an area that uh, has a high immigrant population. And immigrants that come to uh, Alberta uh, tend to, not always, but tend to have fairly conservative views on some important issues. How the economy is doing in Edmonton Mill Woods, I think, is going to make all the difference. If you see, if you take a drive through Edmonton Mill Woods, and I have, I have relatives who live there, and you see a lot of uh, uh, shop closed signs, and you see a lot of empty buildings that used to house restaurants, and, and you see, uh, you know, a, an auto repair place that, that is no longer active. Those kinds of things really, really hurt. Uh, they say all politics is local, and you just described the national and provincial economies in, in some pretty significant detail. It's writ to its smallest level, but still very obvious in a place like Mill Woods. And I think that Sohi, as as you know, busy as he's been running around the country trying to get things built and trying to blow the horn for the for the Trudeau Liberals, might be in in some pretty significant danger in Millwoods of losing his seat. So it'll be interesting to to see how that how that plays out. Now now natural extension to to talking about that. Uh, one thing we were talking about before we recorded, and I think I think it's something that that really is is probably a good good way to to. Um, close off the major discussion mm -hmm. uh, is what happens if certain parties lose because somebody's gotta they can't all win so <laughs> and and so so here's where I was coming from I mean I think I think we all listeners included I'm sure all know that if if the liberals lose Justin Trudeau has to step down absolutely I mean that, 100%. that <laughs> I don't think there's any argument there I'm pretty sure that Justin knows it himself have you ever seen a sitting or heard of a sitting prime minister losing the election and staying on as leader of the party? I'll give you a second to Google it. You won't find it because I'm fairly confident it did not happen. So, so what you have to, you know, so, so the question I have is what happens if the conservatives lose? And, and here's my argument. Right now in conservative land there is very much a um, I would say almost almost um, not not belief but but almost knowledge that Justin Trudeau is go going down this fall mm -hmm. like it is it is like in their core that Andrew Shear is going to be the next Prime Minister of Canada um, so when when you have uh, a an expectation that large going into an election if Andrew Scheer does not become the Prime Minister uh, will that force Andrew Scheer to step down even though he is not the Prime Minister and and there have been plenty of leaders who have lost elections and have have gone on 
I think there's a a very small sliver of a pathway where Andrew Scheer can can legitimately stay on as leader if he doesn't win the election. If they come very, very close to a minority situation, but they don't quite get there. The Conservatives pick up 15, 20 seats. The Liberals lose 30. The, uh, the, the Blockists pick up a few. The People's Party picks up one. God only knows where that's from. The Greens pick up a handful. The NDs. Um, Andrew Scheer could then say, look, this was a process and we are really, really close and anything can happen. The last thing we want is a leadership race right now. And under those specific circumstances, as unlikely as they are, I could see Scheer perhaps staying on. But any other circumstance... Well, I think if, if the Liberals get a minority mm-hmm. and Scheer's close, then yeah, absolutely, it makes sense. The, the farther that gap is... Mm-hmm. The harder it is for Sheer to, to, to uh, kind of maintain that, you know. Yes, this is a process. Um, I don't think the Conservatives are going to lose any seats. Well, I, I mean, they might lose individual seats, but but from a net perspective, mm-hmm. I think I think the the Conservatives are going to gain seats. Yes, I'd say that's true. Uh, the Liberals are going to lose seats. Mm-hmm. The question is, at what point can Andrew Sheer uh, argue his way uh, into remaining as leader if... I think if he closes the gap to less than 10, okay, he can stay on. Right, and, and so so the question then will be, uh, who's next? So, and, and this is for both parties, right? And, and I think... I think to some degree people have seen um, somewhat all around the world a vacuum of what people would consider a good leader in in leadership ready positions within major parties mm-hmm. and it seems to be a phenomenon all over and and i don't know what the what the particular reason is uh if it's just people are staying away from social media uh if it's if it's because uh, parties continue to advocate for cutting politician salaries to the point where people with significant CEO experience or, or you know, the, those types of leadership qualities you might look for are just going, it's not worth it. I don't know what the reason is, but for whatever reason, um, it seems like anytime there's a leadership race, it's always kind of a, a question of, ah, don't know who these people are, or, you know, like there's nobody who really comes out kind of the way that Barack Obama did mm-hmm. uh, back when, you know, back during the, the New Hampshire speech. There's nobody who kind of invokes that type of, of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that there's anybody waiting in the wings of either of these two parties well, that really is there. I think that a big part of the reason that you don't see sort of these juggernauts who have been spending decades sort of feathering their nest and getting their networks ready and, and so that they can sort of rise and ascend to power the way, say, a, a Paul Martin did in the latter end of the uh, Chrétien years, is, is because of the advent of social media. Because we see these situations now where some... And, and the classic example of this is a situation like, say, the, the one I mentioned earlier in Alberta, the Jim Dinning situation. right? Jim Dinning was going to win that leadership race. There was no doubt in anybody's mind that he was going to win that leadership race. He had put in years in that government, he had made all the right connections, and he lost. And then the next leadership race that the PCs held, 
Gary Marr was going to win that leadership That's race. Right. He he had the connections. He had done all the work. He had done the thankless job of being the health minister. He was going to be the guy. And he lost. Right? And, and so what you see is you see these candidates sort of coming from out of nowhere and they get a winning strategist, they get a winning strategy, and they really stir up public interest on the social medias. And next thing you know, they've got hundreds upon hundreds of people coming out to volunteer for them at their campaign launch, and it's a name you've never heard before. And we can even see this down in the States right now. We've got people who poll nationally at 1% or 2% who are pulling in ridiculous gobs of money. Did you ever think that you would hear that the mayor of South Bend, Indiana was going to be <laughs> running for the Democratic nomination for president? No, that's something senators do. That's right. something governors do. Yeah, so there's a changing there's a changing topology, I guess, to yeah. the type of person who runs. And so, yeah, there might there might really be some some strong candidates waiting in the wings who we don't know about or some strong candidates who are going to sit it out because it would be more humiliating to them to lose to a nobody than or, or a relative nobody than it would be useful to them to win. And they're sitting there and they're asking themselves, do I need this? Do I really need this for all of the hassle it's going to be for me if I win and for all of the incredible embarrassment it's going to be for me if I lose? Is this something I really need or should I just sit it out? And we saw that to a degree in the race to succeed Stephen Harper. Sure. Right? When you saw so many heavyweights bowing out of that and saying, no, no, thank you. This is a party that had just been in power for 10 years. Yeah. And you have every reason to think they're going to be in power again before too long. But they had just had their asses handed to them by Justin Trudeau who was a fresh face, the whole world was in love with him, and suddenly people were saying, well, Bernard Lord, what about you? No, no thank you. Well, what about you, Brad Wall? Nope. What about you, Jason Kenney? No, I'm going to go fix Alberta. You know, and, and all of these conservative heavyweights, Rona Ambrose announced she was going to step aside, but she'd do the job, you know, sort of temporarily. So all of these conservative heavyweights who could have been real contenders for the job stepped back and Sheer was really the only one left. Well, him and Bernier, and that didn't work out too well for Max. So yeah, he's leader of his own party now. He's leader of his own party. So who would want the job if Sheer were to be cast aside by the party after a loss? Now, there's you know your Brad Trosts. There's that kind of uh, that kind of ilk. Um, but uh, by and large. Conservatives tend to be so focused on the leader, at least on a federal level, because let's not forget, the Conservative Party of Canada was a, a vehicle that was invented to get one man elected, and that was Stephen Harper. Right. Right. In the same way that in Alberta, the United Conservative Party is about one guy. And for now, nothing is going to change that. They're never going to turn on their guy. So... Um, you know, there, there's so, so there's no succession to, planning. Like, there's no succession no, planning. Not, there's the leader the level that that no, Martin was, for well, example. Choosing the next leader of the party is the national pastime of liberals. Uh, <laughs> the day after Justin Trudeau won the leadership, people were thinking who was going to be next. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've seen I've seen people online who are actually taking bets. It's going to be Scott Bryson. It's going to be Jody Jody Wilson Raybould. You know, not to mention. 
all of the uh, chaos in the federal government system right now is all Scott Bryson's fault. Thanks, Bryson. <laughs> I, for one, would like to see Martha Hall Finley run again. There but... you go. Right? So, so who, who would want the job of conservative leader? You know, would Rona Ambrose be, be tempted to come back? Because, frankly, she left some stuff undone. She, she did all she could with it. But the Senate has let her sexual assault bill die on the order paper after years of languishing there. Un, you know, judges are supposed to be getting mandatory training on how to deal with sexual assault victims, and they just never got around to it because I guess they were too busy trying to figure out where Mike Duffy lives, right? So there's some really important stuff that she would want to go back and potentially do. Would, would she want the job? Yeah, I don't know if she would want the job. Would Brad Wall want to take a shot at it? Jason Kenney is only going to be a year and a half into his term as Alberta's premier, potentially, when the Conservatives have a leadership race, if they have a leadership race after this election. Right. Would he pull up his tent stakes and run federally, knowing that he was leaving a very thin record back in Alberta with, objectively, not a very thick and heavy resume as the chief executive of, of the province. I mean, we, Alberta would still have a deficit. It would still not have its house in order. And, and he would run for the federal leadership. That seems a little soon. But then again, if they get a successful leader, he could be out of luck for 10 to 12 years. Sure. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a gamble. It'll be interesting to see what happens day after election. Now, one name I heard that was very interesting for federal conservative leader and it might shock a lot of people, but was Christy Clark. Really? Really. Because, I mean, we think of Christy Clark uh, as a BC Liberal, which of course she was, and she was a, a premier of, of British Columbia. Well, BC Liberals tend to be more on the conservative side anyway. BC Liberals are conservatives by any other name. Um, it's just that, you know, if you're running as a conservative by name in British Columbia, you've got no chance at all. But, you know, how, how many how many people who, who would have considered themselves liberals have have run as conservatives and vice versa. I mean, Ralph mm -hmm. Klein was within the Liberal Party mm -hmm. of Alberta before he came over to lead the yeah. Progressive Conservatives. Literally the same year yeah. that he that he decided to run for office as a Progressive Conservative, he was also being courted to run as a Liberal, which is why I laugh when I see Conservatives post the old tropes online about the good old days with Ralph standing in front of a sea train. I'm like, yeah, that's Calgary's at the time card-carrying liberal mayor. Um, <laughs> you know, the good old days. Now, um, now another, another leader, though, uh, that we haven't mentioned yet is Jagmeet Singh. Mm -hmm. So this is his first real test. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what do the NDP need to do? Um, and even if the NDP don't do well, is there anybody waiting in the wings that that is going to take over. You know, the NDP are, are suffering from, from the tragic loss of Jack Layton. Absolutely you know, they they're, are. they're still suffering from it. It's been years now. But he was a once-in-a-generation leader, and he's gone, and we haven't changed generations yet. Right? I mean, no matter who they pick, they're going to pale in comparison to Jack. Sure. And Layton came so close, so very, very close to, I mean, they had a major breakthrough, but he came so close they were almost government, which was just completely unfathomable to, to most of the country uh, for most of my life that the New Democrats would ever be able to form a federal government. And Leighton almost did it. So 
no matter who they pick, they're going to pale in comparison to Jack. And, I mean, his, his leadership has been in turmoil and under threat, Jack Meat sings, since the day after he oh, won Oh, absolutely it. it has. I mean, people were saying if they lose these by-elections, he's done. If they lose this, he's done. If they lose seats, he's done. Um, I cannot see. This party right now is so fragmented in so many different directions. And, and part of it is just the structure of the party, right? I mean, it's one party nationwide. The, uh, you don't buy a membership to the BC New Democratic Party. No, you are part of the federal New right. Democrats. Right, and, and so you look at how New Democrats from province to province deal with each other, and that is not a symptom. That is the root cause. So Alberta New Democrats and BC New Democrats do not play well together. And they're all part of the same federal party. They're all trying to ostensibly work towards the same ends. Can they support the same leader with how differently they think? Jagmeet Singh talks about the Leap Manifesto as something that needs to be embraced. From an economic perspective, he is way to the left of Elizabeth May. Albertans and Alberta NDP members, who until very recently were members of a governing party are not supporting Jagmeet Singh. No. And would no. not support him in a leadership review. No, and, that, and then, I mean, that was always something that came up with, with Notley, mm -hmm. uh, the Leaf Manifesto, and the fact that she was, she, uh, she was part of, um, she was part of the federal party, right? Like, right. it was kind of like, well, this is coming from the federal party and, and all the issues that came about there. So he's suffering from the exact same problem on the other side. Absolutely. So, I mean, if, if the NDP lose, or God, even if they gain seats, uh, Jagmeet Singh is still very much in danger. And I know that people want to say, oh, well, you know, Rachel Notley, she was a, she was a, in government Alberta and she was doing all the right things and she stayed involved and, and she, you know, she just needed more time and everything would have turned around and it would have been great. Uh, my understanding, at least, and, and I don't know Rachel Notley personally, but I know people who do, uh, she is super invested in just staying in Alberta. Um, she sees no dishonor in being an opposition leader. It's the job her father held, um, and and she wants to raise her kid in Alberta. She she's happy being here with her husband, uh, and and doing the job of opposition leader and not making that jump to federal politics. Uh, would she be good at it? Maybe, but if she doesn't want the job, we're never going to know. Right. And then of course that that leaves the Greens. So Elizabeth May has been leader of the Greens since 2006. Yes. So is this the last election for her? Like, is this is this kind of the final chance? I mean, is this why we're seeing the strategic shift? I mean, it could be, but there's no real obvious person to take over. But the thing about the Greens that makes them so hard to sort of figure out is that they're not... I mean, it's easy to pigeonhole them and say, well, they're a one-issue party. You know, uh, just pick an environmentalist. If it's not Liz May, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, David Suzuki, right? But the reality is that Greens, especially elsewhere in the world, Greens are focused on a lot of issues. The environment just happens to be the lens through which they see much of it. Right. So you could take somebody who you would not otherwise perceive as being necessarily an environmentalist, and they would fit right in. 
with the Green Party. Well, I mean, I mean, let's talk about some of the people you mentioned, for, you know, in the wings for the Conservatives. Mm -hmm. Bernard Lord. Yeah. Bernard Lord could slip into the Greens. And for that matter, the Maritimes are warming up to the Greens generally. So Bernard Lord would be a good fit for that. Christy Clark. Christy Clark. Could slip into the Greens. Jody Wilson-Raybould. Absolutely. Is from a Vancouver riding. I mean, that would be tailor-made for the Greens. And she'd be able to attack the ethics of the Prime Minister every chance she got from that bully pulpit. I mean, there are a lot of people who, if the opening is there, might be well-served to consider taking it. Now, one person who won't be taking it is the former deputy leader of the Green Party of Canada, who was an NHL enforcer. Do you know who that is? I do not. George Larocque. Larocque. Okay. George Larocque has broken ranks with the Green Party. Um, he he is no longer uh, a member. He is no longer. Uh, my understanding, at least, is he's no longer a member. Uh, he's no longer deputy leader. So, unfortunately, those of you who who were thinking that we were going to get the Rock, George Larocque, my fellow Oiler fans, uh, sadly, no. Uh, as far as I know, uh, we, we still do not have any Oilers elected at any level of government, although Lord knows we could. And before we wrap up, Kirk, I just have to ask you, of course, as I always do, online voting. A great idea or the greatest idea? We don't video cast, but Kirk is shaking his head and giving me a death stare. So I'm going to say greatest idea. <laughs> and with that, Kirk, we just want to touch, of course, on, uh, on the big news uh, locally here. Uh, tragic news coming from Calgary uh, just in the past week or so uh, that uh, we saw the death of a sitting member of parliament, uh, Deepak O'Brien, who served uh, 22 years as a member of parliament here in Calgary uh, for the Reform Party, uh, the Canadian Alliance, and the Conservative Party of Canada. Um, I mean, some of the highlights on his resume, they kind of speak for themselves. Uh, he was the first Hindu member of parliament in Canada. He's, uh, he was twice a parliamentary secretary. Uh, he was a Conservative Party of Canada leadership contestant. Uh, uh, Deepak was born in Tanzania. Uh, I did not know this when I was doing research on him. His training was as an air traffic controller, which is fascinating. Really? Deepak pushed tin for a living uh, in London, England, I believe. Uh, and, and then when he came to Canada, he became an accountant as well. Um, he's a husband and a father, of course. Um, uh, 22 years of service uh, to the, the people of Canada and to the people of his riding. Um, uh, thank you, sir, for your service. Uh, you will be missed. Whether or not you agree with somebody's politics at a time like this is completely irrelevant. Uh, he, he put in uh, almost a quarter of his life into the service of his fellow citizens and for that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, I am Joey Oberhofner, the Enlightened Savage. I am Kirk Schmidt. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, send us some comments. Send us some love. We love your love. Uh, we love that you love that we love your love. Um, and uh, until next time, we How are... How deep is your love? How deep is your love? People wouldn't want to hear us sing, would they? Would they? Let's find out. We are... The, the Unelectables. That's what you are.
took a pass on you. Now I'm stuck on this podcast with you. Podcasting with this fool. Hey, hey, hey. Your mom says I'm Unelectable to 